If I could speak about anything at all, um, what I'm going to be speaking about for the next several weeks is the thing that I would choose. Because uh, I shared with you before, uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, that uh, we're in the process of rediscovering what it is to be the Great Oaks Community Church. We're not looking at changing things. We're looking at refocusing on the things that we've already believed in before. It's kind of like going back to our roots. Remember the, 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 um, the old uh, series called Roots? Uh, it's not looking at going and changing things. It's looking about re, re, revisiting the things that were most important to us early days so that we can learn from that. Because what happens over a period of time in the life of, uh, of any person or any organization, any church, is that over a period of time what happens is we become um, more diverse, more, uh, co- we become more complicated what happens in life, and so sometimes not as focused as we need to be. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, several weeks, and I hope that you'll hang with us here these next three weeks, particularly as we talk about the very basic of what God calls us to be as persons and as a church. And then as we flesh that out over the next several months, actually, I'm just going to introduce to you some basic concepts here the next couple of weeks that things you've heard before, but that we need to focus on and some new initiatives that we're going to be having here at Great Oaks as well that'll help you to understand why that this is so important for us and what we need to be doing and spending our time doing. Uh, so we're not, I challenge you this, we're not going to make your life more complicated. Actually, what we're going to do if, if we follow God's plan is make our life more focused and simpler and more effective. And so if that's what you want to do with your lives, then you're at the right place. Uh, because my, last, my greatest desire is not to become complicated. As I get older, uh, I realize that, that simplicity is where it's at. Uh, God calls us to live a, a more simple life. And so one of the things, as the, the song that uh, Nate and, and, and the band just did, Love is a Verb, uh, we decided to call this series that because love is just more than just a feeling. Uh, love is, is, uh, is the very purpose that God tells us, and we're going to look, look at that today. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5 that the purpose of our instruction, the purpose of the instruction that God calls us to, is that all believers would be filled with love. Love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And so that's, that's, that's what our purpose is, is that God would, would call us to be people of love. Now, that means so many things because we have this really bizarre idea of love. And, and, and so often in weddings, I always use 1 Corinthians 13 because love is it's a description of that. But actually, even before you get into the description of love, it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 uh, through 3. It says, if I could speak in all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. What Paul is saying to us this, it doesn't matter what you have. If you understand everything about Scripture, if you did everything you possibly could do to, to be the most sacrificial person in the world, but you didn't love people, that love would not ma- it wouldn't really matter. Because without love, love is the, the piece that's missing so often in our lives, and it's the piece that we have to put back into the equation. It's the piece that we have to focus upon. And so we're going to look for the next three weeks at Jesus' very basic teaching about what is our purpose as a church, which and church as people, what is our purpose as people in our lives, and how do we live that out in very tangible, real ways? Because it's not just something we feel, because love is a verb. It's something we do. And feelings come along, but it's more than that. So look, before we look into God's Word today uh, for a while, let's go to the Lord in prayer this time. Let's just seek His heart and what He has to say to us.
Our Lord and God, this morning, as we come to this place, we come, uh, first of all, God, with, with hearts that desire more than anything to honor and please you. For that's what you call us to do and be as believers, God, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we come today to not only learn about some things, but we, we, my desire, and I believe, God, I, I know for a fact that your desire, because it says it in your word, is that we not only know these things, but with, that we live out these things in our lives. That our priorities and our plans and our resources are such, God, that we, we make them accessible to you in a more and more and more real way in our lives. As we take our next steps towards you, God, that you would enable us, God, to love you more and to love people more because that is the very basic of what it, basis of what it means to be a believer. God, help us to get beyond just being religious, just going through the rituals, to become persons who have a relationship with you that changes our lives in real and tangible ways. And help us to understand some ways to do that over the next few weeks and the next few months as we flesh this out in so many ways, God. And we pray that you would just use this time, God, to change us, to make us who you'd want us to be. None of us are where we need to be, God, myself included. All of us have next steps in our lives. So help us to open our hearts and our minds to your word, to its truths. And may the words that I speak today, God, from your word be something that comes from you, God. Each week I pray that prayer, God, that it would be your words that come out, not mine. And I pray, God, that you would allow this time to be useful and to be effective in helping us in taking those next steps towards you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to um, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's uh, very, very uh, simple, very basic, very important for us as well. And we're going to talk about this passage today and next week. And then we're going to look at one other passage in uh, three weeks or two weeks from now that goes along with this as well. But um, this passage in Mark 12, let's read just beginning with verse 28, um, just a little bit what it says. It says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. And he realized that Jesus had answered well. And so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? He said, you know, what's the most important thing? If you were to narrow everything down in life to one commandment, what would it be? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And then following that, I'm not going to read all of it, but it basically says, and then he adds a second commandment, which we're going to talk about next week. He says, he says the second commandment is just like this. It's, it's, just, it's tied into this, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now this morning, we want to talk about this because the context of this is very important because as we look back at the very basis of what we are to be as a church, this verse is the critical verse. If you do not memorize any other verse in Scripture, this is the one to memorize. It's shown here, and it's shown in another passage as well, in Matthew uh, 22. And, and as we look at this verse, it, it's, it, the context is this. Jesus was one week away from being crucified, seven days. And as you look back a little bit, if you have your Bibles, look back at the end of chapter, uh, chapter 11. It's, it, it, maybe you're, you have titles or headings in your Bible. And it says the authority of Jesus was questioned there. 
What was happening during this time is the religious leaders, the religious leaders, not the people outside the church, the religious leaders were looking for a way to trip up Jesus, something to trip him up so they could put him and and convict him of what they wanted to convict him of because they didn't like what he was saying. Jesus, the Son of God. And as you look at the end of there, it says, the end of verse uh, chapter 11, that he arrived in Jerusalem. Uh, he went through this process. They were trying to ask, ask really hard questions. Uh, he responded. And then in the beginning of chapter 12, he speaks of them in a parable, a parable that they did not like at all, the parable of the vineyard. And we've been doing through parables this summer. And it says that, you know, it talks about a, 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 a person who plants a vineyard and he sends some people back as the vineyard is coming to fruition to to uh, uh, collect uh, the fruit of the vineyard and uh, the people that were managing the vineyard running the vineyard but didn't like it too much they they beat the first servant up and the second ser- servant they they he, the the, vine, the vineyard owners sent to him they he killed them and then just keep going on through this process and finally the vineyard owner sends his son he thinks they respect him but no, he doesn't respect them at all either, and he kills him. And, and they go through this whole process. And, and then they kind of at the end of that, it says, it says this, it says in verse 12, that they looked for a way to arrest Jesus because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. These religious leaders, they, they knew this parable was about them, that they were the vineyard owners, uh, or they were the people, that, the, the managers of the vineyard, who was, who was continually uh, pushing away the people that God sent, the, the prophets and other people along the way. They were rejecting their message. And then Jesus came, or the, the Messiah was going to come, and then they were going to reject that as well. And then they continue along the way there. The next part of the chapter is the next few verses, 13 through 27. Basically, he, they ask him some questions, some hard questions. They weren't really asking questions they wanted to know any answers for. They were just trying to find ways to trip up Jesus. And then finally, I guess one of the teachers of the law got fed up with all this stuff. He finally said, well, this guy's giving great answers, so why don't we just ask him a real question? Something we'd really, something I'd really like to know, you know, instead of just debating stuff. It's not a philosophy class here. He said, what do I really want? And so he finally asked, uh, in verse 28, he, one of the teachers of the law came, heard them debating, and said this, uh, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And then we have the context here where Jesus says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's interesting, though, that the guy asked this because he really, I think, was a seeker here in the sense that he was trying to find some truth because he was confused. In that day and age, we think they just had like the Ten Commandments. No, these guys had made up what they called the oral law. The oral law was 613 uh, things that they had made up along the way uh, that laws they were supposed to keep is to be a good, you know, church person. And you think, well, you know, why 613? Is there some kind of special number about that? Well, they kind of made it into a game because the 600, number 613 had come out of the number of Hebrew letters that was in the Ten Commandments. That was how many Hebrew letters that are in the Ten Commandments. And they took those number of letters, they made it and said, oh, let's make up 613 laws. And so they made uh, 246 positive commands and 367 negative commands. And they were just like unreal commands. There was things that people were supposed to do. For instance, they had, I thought, one of the stupidest commands of all was, uh, uh, there were several of them dealing with the Sabbath, how you acted upon the Sabbath. And one of the commands was this, if your house is burning down on the Sabbath, uh, can you go in and take stuff out of it to rescue your stuff? And the answer was no, because that's work, and you don't work on the Sabbath. 
But to get around that, they'd come up with, well, you know, if you, if you want to save your clothing, for instance, you can't go in and get your clothing? No, that's work because you've got to carry them out. That's work. You can't do that if their house is burning down. But you can go in there at your house on the Sabbath if it's burning down, put clothes on, walk out, take them off, go back and put clothes, because that's putting clothes on. That's not work. Now, isn't that silly? But that's how some of their, that's some of these, these oral commands that they had, they had made. They had these type of things. And so in the midst of all this kind of chaos that had developed uh, in this time, this, this one teacher of the law says, well, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? If you can narrow it down, I mean, I really like to know if, if, you know, there's too many things to keep up. I can't keep up with all these things. Tell me what's the greatest thing. And he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest thing you can do is to do that. Now, let me ask you a question. I don't know, uh, Chris, I wasn't in here earlier when you did announcements, but you may have asked the question, what did you do, what'd you do this week? You didn't ask that? <sighs> okay, we talked about it last two weeks ago. I was on vacation, so we hadn't come back. Anyway, let me ask you a question. What did you do this week? What did you do with your time this week? Uh, did you spend your time uh, doing frivolous commands? You know, have a frivolous list of stuff to do. Or if you were to write down, uh, uh, there's probably a card, I think, in the bulletin somewhere. There's a card that says, what, what did you do? And the other side says, what if? It's not in there either. It is? See, I've been gone, so I don't know anything. Thank you. Just hold that for later. Okay. Well, you know, you know, if you could think about on that list, you don't have time to write it down because I want you to listen. Uh, write, what is, the things, what is the things you did this week that were most important, that spent most of your time doing? Well, the guy was kind of asking Jesus, okay, if I was to d- d- define my weekend priorities, what would it be? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Jesus is saying this to them. He says, this is not one of your s- stupid six- 613 commands. This is the command. This is something that you say all the time because the Jewish people recited several times a day something that actually this came out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It was called a Shema. And it was, it was something they recited. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts. This is something Jewish people knew. He said, you say this command, the greatest command all the time. Is it just something you recite that means nothing? Or is it something more than that? The reality is, is that Jesus knows this. He knows that our hearts will be restless until we find rest in him. And so uh, we have to ask ourselves the question, why is loving God? That's the question we have. Why is loving God the greatest thing we can do? Now, let me give you three or four reasons this morning, about three reasons this morning, but why loving God is the greatest thing we can do, why Jesus says this to us. Number one is this, loving God is the greatest thing because God is worthy of our love. God is worthy of our love. There, you know, there's a lot of people that we love, a lot of things that we love is simply not worthy of our love, Right? There's a lot of stuff that we put a lot of time and a lot of effort towards. It's simply not worthy of it if we got down to it. And truthfully, we love people, a lot of people, who sometimes, you know, we, we love people unconditionally, because, not because they're worthy of love, but Jesus, God is the one being in the whole universe who actually is worthy of our love. Throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, uh, the, 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 the Jewish people would ask questions like, well, who, who is like you, O God? And what's the answer when you say that? Who is like you, O God? No one. No one. I mean, for instance, in Exodus 15, 11, it says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. The answer was no one. 
In Psalm 30, this is just a few examples. Psalm 35, 10, my whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, O Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Who is like you? No one. Psalm 71, 19, your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. Who, you have uh, done great things. Who is, O Lord, is like you? No one. Psalm 89, uh, 8, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. The answer time and time again to these questions is the same question. There's no one like God. He's the only one who is worthy of our love. And the interesting thing in Scripture is is that uh, Scripture tells us the Bible says that we're not to love the things of this world of the things that are in the world, do not love the world, or the things that are in the world. Why is that true? Because we only have a limited capacity to love. We are human, finite beings, not infinite beings, finite beings who have the ability only to love so many things because love is a verb. It's something you do, and you can only do so many things with your time, right? Some of you don't believe that. You really don't because your lifestyle says differently. Some of you believe you can do everything. And you're trying to do it, and it's driving you nuts. I am convinced that the number one tool that Satan uses in this world to drive us away from God, to not focus on the thing that's most important, is busyness. If there's one thing that I could do for myself and for you, it's to help us to learn to prioritize our time and our energy so that we can love and focus our attention on the things that are most important in life because you can't do it all. We all know that we can't do it all. We just don't live that way. And so the reason that loving God is the greatest thing we can do is because God is worthy and we want to love and focus upon that which is most important. So let me ask you again, what, what do you spend your time loving? What do you spend your time loving? It's what you spend your time doing. So what do you do? That's number one. Number two, a second reason why loving God is uh, while we must love God and it's the greatest thing we can do is because it is most beneficial for us. You're going, that sounds kind of a, not a real good reason. That sounds kind of a selfish reason, right? Well, not according to Scripture because in 1 John four nineteen, you know what it says? It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. He gives love to us. We love back. Uh, we're going to do a whole Christmas series focused on that one verse. We're going to paint a picture at Christmas of what it means for God to love us uh, in, in a real way. I wish I could have the words to describe this morning to you what it means that, to have God to love you. But I don't have time, so we're going to try to do it in three, three weeks at Christmas to paint a picture of how God, much God loves us. What it meant when he came into the world as, as, a, as, a, as a child, as a, as a baby. What does it mean for us? But some people think that this whole concept of, uh, of loving because he loves us is, is, is selfish. But it isn't, it, isn't it, you know, they'll ask the question, isn't it selfish to love God because it's beneficial? Well, now let me tell you what two great writers that I know of said about this. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, says this. Let me give you a quote. I usually don't do long quotes, but this is a really good one, so listen, okay? If we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that God finds our desires not too strong but too, uh, but, uh, too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine is meant by the offer of a holiday sea, uh, he cannot imagine what is meant by the ho- offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. 
And when God offers to you and me the ultimate human experience in a love relationship with him, it is not selfish to go after, after that. God has made us in such a way that our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. And the greatest soul satisfaction is in loving God who loves us perfectly. And when we turn away from that and satisfy ourselves with less, we are the ones to suffer. C.S. Lewis. John Piper, another uh, more current writer, says this, Pursuing our soul satisfaction is not sin. Sin is the exact opposite. Sin is pursuing happiness where no lasting happiness can be found. It is not wrong to seek the satisfaction of your soul in the one who loves you and made you and made you in such a way that you will never be satisfied until you find satisfaction in him. Matter of fact, we go all the way back to the Old Testament, and it talks about this same thing, that we must, that God has a desire, wants us to seek after him. There's benefits of seeking after God. Uh, let me turn, uh, don't have to turn in your Bible, but I'm going to put it on the screen. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says this, Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. And he says this, My people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And number two, they have dug their, dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Water was seen in the Old Testament in Scripture many times as a picture of the satisfaction we have with God. And he's saying here that what people have done many times, if they've committed the sin of forsaking the thing that's most important, loving God and seeking Him, and they've, and they've developed and, and, and uh, dug their own cisterns, which is a picture of, in a real sense, of replacing that with things that are less worthy. So one of the things we have to understand clearly in Scripture is that, is that God says that it's all right to seek Him and to have find satisfaction in Him and, and to seek His heart and love Him because He loves us. God made us that way with a God-sized hole in our souls. And until we fill it with God, it'll be empty no matter what we do with our lives. Matter of fact, it says over in John 4, Jesus says this. He says, Every, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Talking about this soul satisfaction of having a relationship with God, of loving God. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, the harder we try to set up satisfaction for ourselves, the less we will have it. Our heart was made for God and for loving God. And that's why the greatest thing to do is to love God. That's why Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. That's the most important thing on your priority list above all other things. A third thing that I want to say about this as well, that this is not only the greatest commandment because, it's, because God is most worthy and because it brings the most benefit, but also I must got to tell you, like many things that are beneficial, it is most difficult. It is most difficult sometimes. That's some of the reasons that sometimes it's really things that are worthwhile in life. Do you find them difficult sometimes? Things that are really worthwhile. Real relationships, uh, having a focused focus life. Um, truly loving God with a genuine love is not easy. Would anybody agree with that? Truly loving God with a genuine love is not easy. For, for many ways, we're going to talk about that. Um, because this, so often we have this kind of like str a, a struggle in our life because we want to we want to know God, we want to feel a love for God, we want to know Him. But to love God is to know Him and to delight in the knowledge of Him. 
There's two things there. To, know, to love God is to know Him and to delight in that knowledge of Him. There's two t- parts. Because there's two strains in the church that so often what happens is it causes us to go to one extreme or the other. For instance, there's one strain in the church that says it's all about the knowledge of God. It's all about learning stuff about God. And so you focus all your attention on simply learning things. And you go into Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. I, wanna, I just want to say this, okay? Let me explain to you. <sighs> I'm going to say this about 50 times over the next several months. Sometimes we need to get out of the Bible study and go out into the world and love people. It's real easy sometimes to sit around and study the Bible and do nothing about what it says. We realize this, that loving God and loving people is is, is putting our feet to what we learn. There's these two strains. One strain is about all about knowledge. Another strain, though, there's another strain we find even more prevalent in our world today is this thing of delighting in God, of, of having this warm feelings toward God. And so often you go to churches and their whole focus there, in a real sense, their whole focus is, is uh, 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 in music and worship and this feeling uh, of being close to God. But the reality is you need to have both. You need to have the knowledge of God. You need to have knowledge of God and delight in the Lord which means we have both in balance. So when Jesus tells us in this, parab- uh, in, this, uh, in this command, he says, love the Lord your God, he doesn't stop with, that's it, love the Lord your God. He could have stopped there, right? But he explains what that means. And so I want to spend the rest of the time talking about what that means because he says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And one of the words that keeps popping out there is the word all. Does that pop out to you? I mean, he doesn't say just love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says with all, every time. Does that mean that's the only thing we do? We sit around and worship God and, and, we, and we just love? No, no, no. All means with an abandon. It means above else that we are to abandon ourselves to God. It means, doesn't mean we do nothing else, but it means when we love God, we love him with all of these elements. And what does that mean? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, let me try to explain that to you briefly this morning in about five minutes, okay? Maybe a little bit longer than that, okay? Um, with all of our heart. What does it mean to love the God, God with all of your heart? The Bible doesn't really explain clearly what the breakdown is. I've been in seminary. In seminary classes, some people will say we're two parts. We're, we're uh, body and spirit. Other people will say that we're body, soul, and spirit. I don't really understand, tell you the truth. I don't know what we are, but I do know this. I will tell you what I do know from Scripture, that there is a part, uh, there is a part of us that, that's described in Scripture that is not physical. And that part of us that is, that is not physical, the physical you, that is the eternal part of you that has nothing to do with flesh and bones. And the summary term that is used many, many times in Scripture to describe uh, this part of you, this part of you that is not flesh and bones, that is this other than that, is, 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 is your heart. It's uh, most of the time when the Bible uses the term heart, it's describing the sum total of the non-physical part of you, the part that is made for God, the part that is eternal, the part that can choose right from wrong, the part that can choose to do the right things and not the wrong things, the part that will live forever. And the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. It says that we need to watch over our heart. It says we need to cleanse our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. Uh, Bill Bright, uh, pop up the next slide. Uh, Bill Bright um, 
I don't know if you can see that or not. Yeah, you can see that up there. Okay. Uh, Bill Bright, uh, years ago, I don't know if you know who Bill Bright was, just developed, he's, he's, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he, de- he was the, d- the developer of Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, he also, one of the most famous things that's being used is called the Four Spiritual Laws. And he developed it. He talked about that in Four Spiritual Laws, this whole thing of the heart. And he, he was one of the first ones to use this. He uses a chair, which is like a throne. He says, and he places it, if you ever used the Four Spiritual Laws, he says, in our life we have we have this place in our heart, he calls it the heart, uh, where the throne is. And the throne is what directs our life. And he says, when we're, before we've come to Christ, we have a self-directed life. And on that throne, in the center of the, where we make our decisions, where we make the choices we make in life, we choose what to love, what not to love, he says, self is sitting on that throne. He calls it the heart. But then when Christ comes into our life, What changes is, all of a sudden, instead of us being on the throne, he says what happens then is that we place Christ upon the throne of our life, this heart, the center of our decision-making process, where we become persons who allow Christ to make the decisions. His priorities become our priorities. And he uses that to describe the heart and the change that the heart is. I want to share with you this, that we realize that that is something we have to really focus our attention upon as part of our vision. Part of our vision is this, is to help each one of us not only simply know Scripture, which is vital, but secondly, to know it in such a way that we reprioritize our lives in such a way that we reprioritize them around what God would want us to do and to be. Then in a real sense, it's a term that's been used sometimes that we would have a biblical worldview. It means that when we make decisions and choices about everything in life, not just what we do on Sunday morning, but everything in life, that what we need to do is we need to focus on how to do that and how to, how to have this biblical world. Ask ourselves a question. What does God say about it in his word? And how can I live it out in my life? And so we're going to have, develop a process, which we'll talk about more along the way, a process of spiritual growth development process where you can assess where you are and take next steps toward a biblical worldview. I'm going to say more about that in just a few moments. But God says, once again, he says that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's go to the next slide. There we go. Okay, thank you. Okay, secondly, with all of your heart, it means with the part of you where you make your decisions. We have to make God the center of that. Secondly, with all of your soul. Now, I, this is a real bizarre word because it's, there's, there's so many ways to do it. But the nearest thing that I can understand in Scripture about this is that it really deals with the soul deals with our emotions. Our emotions. Jesus in the garden in Matthew 26, 38, he says, my soul is overwhelmed. He's talking about these emotions. He's talking about uh, it's the word used to describe the emotion he was feeling at the time. And the soul so often is used as a seat of emotions, not just uh, knowing about stuff, but, but really knowing him. In Psalm uh, 103, it says, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, all my soul, and forget not his benefits. The reality of this is that so often in life, we simply have a knowledge of God, but it doesn't affect how we feel toward God. Let me ask you a question. Have you, do you ever have a time where God, or, or your relationship with God moves you in an emotional way? I was uh, on, on vacation this past week in uh, Table Rock Lake and near Branson, and my wife and I went down to a little place, uh, not a little place, about a thousand acre place, uh, down on the uh, border of, of uh, Missouri and Arkansas. It's called uh, Dogwood Canyon Nature Center, something like that. 
incredibly beautiful place. We, we hiked, and it was only a 3.2-mile hike up this, up this trail. It's, not, it's pretty flat. It should take us an hour max. I mean, walking, not running. You know, if we ran, we'd run a lot faster. It took us like two hours to get up there. Came back, we did it faster. But the reason why is because we kept marveling in God's creation. It, it was a moving place. I'll tell you, of all the places I was at, on, and I went to see an incredible musical called Noah while we were down in Branson and some incredible things down there. But let me tell you, this nature park moved me more than anything. Because the thing is, is it was part of God's creation. I was going, what an amazing place God has created. When it says to love the Lord your God with all of your soul, I have to ask this question. If you don't have any feelings toward God, any delight in his word, you're not excited over what he's doing in your life, if you're not awed by creation, I'm wondering if you really love God. Because when you love somebody, doesn't it move you emotionally? Now, I know that all of you have different emotions. I mean, a lot of you have German descent. I understand, okay? And Germans are all stayed, you know, and you're all... But I've seen you at football games, and I've seen you at other places. And you don't go to a football game and go, Way to go, Metamora. (laughs) Or Washington, or wherever you live. No! You act like idiots. (laughs) The reality is, is in life, as you understand this, is that we have emotional component of who we are, and we have, God says, we not only love God with our our inmost being, that which guides our decision-making, but also with our emotions. It's all right to get excited and, and, and... and show emotions with God. He created them. So love the Lord your God with all your soul. Number three, with all your mind. With all your mind. Lee Strobel said this. He said, you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to acknowledge the existence of a creator. We are in a time in Christianity where loving God with our mind, there seems to be this disinterest in it. it there's there's this, this whole thing of knowing God and having an experience with God. But, you know, people, when, you, when I throw out the word doctrine, what do you think about? Oh, that's so boring. But you can't love God more if you don't know God more. You have to know who God is to love him. You see, the knowledge of God is the log on the fire of passion. And I don't know about, if you know anything about fires, if you don't keep throwing logs on it, what's going to happen to the fire? It's not going it's gonna, to it's gonna flame out. And to develop an intimate relationship with God is not about having, just having warm, fuzzy feelings with God. It's about knowing who God is. And the greatest place to know who God is is right here. I thought about this. I was trying to think because one of the things that we, one of the key components to our vision is this, that we want you to have a strategic process to help you to know where you are to take you through a process of growth. The spiritual growth assessment, this, this whole process of doing that. And, and I realized that, that while we've had, you know, we try to encourage people to, to grow in, we kind of like, I, this is the, the, the illustration that came to mind to me this morning. It's kind of like sending kids to school. It's what we've done for a long time. Most churches do this, and we've done the same thing. It's like kids sending kids to school, and there's this whole pile of books out there. And you're going to them, okay, we want to learn, just go to it. Is that the way it happens at school? No, 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 no. Uh, at school, we ha- there's a the curriculum laid out. There's a process laid out. I'm taking the kids from, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. Now, I don't always agree with some of the things that are supposed to be happening in those grades. But the issue is, there is a process that takes place. 
And while we've had small groups here at Great Oak, so often what we do is, okay, small groups, just go at it. But if we really want to help people take their next step towards God and grow in this process and know God, there needs to be a more strategic process that's got a step by step because so often, you know, what will happen in school if you give a whole bunch of piles of books to kids and you say, go at it? What are they going to do? Where are they going to go at it first? Where their passion is. I mean, some of you could hang out in your passion. I mean, if all you ever do, you just read books on whatever. You know, if, you're ma- if you love math, man, they just hang out in math. If you like, I don't know, you know, that's not me. If you like, uh, if you like, you know, just reading, you go read books. You know, just read books that are, you know, novels or something. I mean, some people will just hang out there and never do the other things in life to help you to grow in those areas. We understand this. And so one of the things we're going to be talking about and doing more with and starting the first of the year, we're going to have some kind of very strategic process where we help you to assess where you are and take you to the next step along the way. It'll involve groups. It'll involve activities. It'll involve all kinds of things where you can grow and take a more uh, strategic next step towards God because you have to love God with all of your mind as well as with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Finally, with all of your strength. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty simple. With all your capacity. It says with all, with all. Uh, it's this thing. I don't know about you, but I find myself, each day I wake up, I have a renewed energy when I've had a good night's sleep. I mean, do you find yourself, how many of you are morning people? Anybody here a morning person? Okay. Right. How many of you here are evening people? What did the rest of you, where, where are you? <laughs> Uh, you're a noon person, okay? You're a noon person, okay? You know, you're not morning, you're not night. You know, you know, there's certain times in your life when you have more energy, more focus than other times, right? And I understand that in a real sense. And, you know, one of the things we have to understand is that God says when you love the Lord your God with all of your strength, he says with your capacity, find the time when you're most focused and give that time, at least part of that time, to God. I know I've talked to teachers. My wife was a teacher. And one of the things that, that uh, drives teachers crazy nowadays, and this, is, this, this affects school as well, is that so many kids come to school with no energy. Is that true? Yeah. You know why? Because their parents got them running 1,000 miles an hour the rest of the time. They go to bed late at night. They're running it here afternoon. They come to school. And how do you expect them to learn? They have zero energy. They sleep in class. They do all these things. What happens? And that's the issue. And so what do we do? Oh, well, our child's not doing well. And so they, they come to my wife who tutors them. Now, I'm not saying all of you to bring your kids to my wife. It's, you know, some of them have some real needs. But sometimes your kids are just running for 50 million places. I'm trying to get my wife out of a job. Because you need to focus your attention on the things that are most important in life. And those are the things sometimes you give your energy to. Give your energy to a few things because we have limited energy. Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. It means all means with abandon. I do other things, but when I love God, I do it with all, with the best of what I have. Let me close with this. In my family at Christmas, well, we're not doing a Christmas this year. We're going to Thanksgiving to my family. We'll probably do the same thing there. And we, uh, I'm going to be here for Christmas this year. Uh, we we play games. We play uh, card games. We're very we 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 just like to beat the fool out of each other. You know, we're, we're my family, my three sisters, my mom. You know, all of us like you know, 
cool, you know, we, we growl at each other when we play cards. You know, it's like if you, you know, we're, it's really competitive. I don't know why. Uh, I'm the least competitive of all. I'm probably, um, yeah, sure. Um, but we'll do stuff. And even and my mom, one of the things that she wants to do a lot of times is, is make puzzles. I'm going like, make puzzles? How do you make a competition out of making a puzzle? You know? Oh, it's not supposed to be competitive. We found a way to do that, though. And, uh, you know, because nobody says it, but I think we do it anyway. You know, what is the, you know, we see how fast you who can do the outside the quickest and whatever. What's the most important part of a puzzle? The most important piece? The last piece. You know, you want to have the last piece because it's the most important piece, right? Have you ever made a puzzle? And we've done puzzles. My mom makes, you make thousand piece puzzles. Oh, my gosh takes days and, and the thing is is that you know we'll do it because mom wants to do it and and we'll help her and whatever and uh but the thing is is that all of us want to be the person to put in the last piece because that's the most important piece well i remember a few years ago we worked this puzzle it must have been i don't think it was a thousand piece i think it was a ten thousand piece puzzle or something you know and we worked on it forever and ever, and ever it got down to the very end and guess what there was no last piece and what do you do with a puzzle that has no last piece that's missing pieces? We threw it away. Because it's useless. It's useless. The missing piece in our Christian life, and it's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It's why Jesus said the most important commandment is love the Lord your God. The missing piece in many of our lives is love. If we do not love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's like a noisy gong. If we have all the faith, if we've done all the good works, it doesn't matter because we must love God. God says, Jesus says, His Son says, we must love Him above all else. I I just thought about this. What a force we could be for God if we truly loved We're going to talk about that over the next two weeks when we talk about loving people and loving each other. So, so what does this all mean? You know, I'll ask you, you know, earlier, I said, you know, what did you do this week? Flip it over on the other side, it says, what if? What if, what if this week you decided to reprioritize your week around this? Loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. What if you did that? Would your week look different than than this past week did? If you really took that seriously and applied it to everything that you did with your life, would it look different? I challenge you this week to ask yourself that every day. This day, If I really took Jesus' command, not what Bill said, Jesus' command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that became the priority of my day every day, how would that focus focus change my life? What I do, what I don't do, because I can't do it all. I'm just called to do the things that are most important. And it starts with loving God. Next week, we're going to talk about the second part of that verse, which says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because it goes right along with this first thing of loving God. We must love people who are unlovely if we truly are to love God and express our love to him. This morning, our band's going to come and they're going to play a closing song.
And I want to tell you two things I want to do. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, this was going to be a, a something that's going to be part of our life at the church here. Is we want to have you, sometimes people make decisions, commitments. Uh, Sunday mornings, as, as, as the, we go through this process of looking at God's word. And what I want you to do is to ask yourself uh, if, you know, if there's something that God is really calling you to do, you want somebody to pray with you or whatever. We're going to have somebody every week now, from now on, after every service, over in the room that's, that's out this door here. It's, it's called the living room right now. It's got a word on it. And we're going to have at least one or two persons over there every week who can pray with you about something specific if you have a need. If you need some more time to talk with somebody. Now, uh, you know, I don't know how many people are going to do that. So we start off small with, I think, just one or two persons today. If we need more, eventually we will. But this morning also, what I'm going to do is make myself available during our time as we sing this closing song. I'm going to be here at the front. And, and I just want to, if there's somebody here who wants to pray with me about some need in their life as well. And Chris, I see you're up here this morning too. I tell you what, if, 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 if there's more than one or two, and you come up and join me as well, okay? And uh, we just want to I'll open this time this morning because the thing is this. God wants us not only to hear his word, to have knowledge of it, but he wants us to respond to his word. And so I'd ask you, is there something God has laid upon your heart this morning that you need to focus upon? Some part of this equation that God says, this is what it means to love. With all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. That you want to commit yourself more fully to and you just want somebody to, you want somebody to know that. And you want them to pray with you about that. This morning, as we stand together and sing this closing song, I'll be here at the front. If you need some more time to talk with somebody, go over there with somebody who's trained that can do that as well and can talk with you and spend some time with you there. And uh, let's just sing this closing song as a commitment to him right now. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.